0: Well, good morning everyone. Um, My name's Matt again. Um, This is the first time I've been on stage twice, so I wasn't sure how to start. Um, And right now, Jess is at home thinking, Matt, don't do this. Um, But it's okay. It's okay. Um, I want to start today uh, by telling you all that I am a pessimist. Um, And not just like a little bit of a pessimist. Um, It's like a borderline like a gifting I have. Um, I, I have a little cup of water here, and no matter how full this thing is, I can still be negative about it. And and I, I start with that um, because as I was preparing for today, I, I felt like I was getting very pessimistic as I prepared this passage. You see, we're in new beginnings, and today we're talking about priorities. Um, and I, I kept trying to figure out how to make this kind of a positive sermon and kind of like, come on, Matt, like I doesn't have to be that negative. And uh, the more time I spent, the more time I was like, man. And, and so I want to encourage you on the front end. Um, there's some like hope at the end, but I, I also want to encourage you. Um, I'm, I'm preaching this message to myself. Um, and and it's, it's an uncomfortable message because I, I realized a pattern in my life that kind of stinks. Um, and, and I will tell you even more that um, if I would have been able to preach this message like a year ago... I wouldn't have even scratched the surface of what the Lord has been doing in my heart, um, and so I, I hope you'll be challenged by this. I, I've been very challenged. I, I hope at the end of today you will um, be, be really asking yourself some hard questions about your priorities. Um, and yeah, and I I don't know how to be positive on like the the glass will be half full by the end of today. So let's pray. Oh Lord, you are so good. Um, Lord, you you fill us up till our cup runs over. Um, and I I thank you for that. And I thank you that no matter how negative I can be and no, no matter how I can try and spin things in my head, I thank you that when I turn to you, you offer more than enough to satisfy me and more than, than I could ever hope or dream on my own. I, I pray right now as we spend time in the book of Haggai, Um, that you would challenge us. Um, I I pray that in light of what has happened in the last year, um, that if we need um, to get kicked in the rear a bit, I I pray you would do that today. Um, And Lord, I I pray that out of this, um, if we are putting our focus and if we are letting things control us that are so much less than you, I I pray that you would just, just help us through your spirit to just repent from that and help us move closer to you. And Lord, I pray your spirit would be moving, that you'd give us all ears to hear and eyes to see what your word has to say. And I I pray it would be your words and not mine as I preach. It's in your name we pray. Amen. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. And I'm not going to review everything from last week, except to remind you the house of the Lord is the temple, which in the Old Testament was the place where heaven and earth met and where God and his people would dwell together. And, and in the New Testament, it becomes us. We are the temple. We are the place where heaven and earth meets because we have the Holy Spirit. And, and so the people are saying, it's not yet time for us to dwell with God. We've got other things to do. Um, and this is what I imagine Haggai's face looked like at this point in time. Um, <laughs> I, I, that was a, a perfectly timed moment with Lucy. Um, but I imagine Haggai had a look of disgust and possibly a bowel movement when he heard that. Um, and then the word of the Lord came to Haggai again. Is it a time for you to, yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And, and, and what Haggai is saying here, the, the paneled house, the, the, the idea of paneled houses, was these weren't just like, hey, you've got a structure over your head. Um, I I have recently fallen in love with a TV show called Alone. If you've never seen it, it streams and it's probably on a channel as well. Um, But the, 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 the show is about, they take like 10 people, they give them 10 items of their choice, and they drop them off in remote wilderness areas to see how long they can survive on their own. And so what you see on day one is everyone puts up a tarp because they drop them off in miserable climates. And so they put up a tarp over them. And then by like day 10, um, the people that you know are going to last a while are starting to work on a shelter. And then by like day 40, because they go to like 70, 80 days, it's insane. By like day 40, they're, they're building like log cabins. And, and, and the thing that Ezekiel Haggai is talking about here, Haggai is saying, look, you're saying it's not time to build a house yet and you're already on like the, you're crafting the final stages of your houses. Like you, you, you've got the roof, you've got the walls, you've got the rooms, you're working on like like an open concept now and you're going to have like, like you're going to have a screened in porch and you're going you're gonna to do all these things to make your house look nicer and nicer. And the house of the Lord lies in ruins. Now, if we think, Back to what we talked about last week just a little bit, one of the things that we know is that the temple in the Old Testament was the place where the people could be right with God and God would dwell with the people. And so when they're saying the time hasn't come and they're still building their own houses, that's, that's pretty, pretty terrible. And, and, and what we're seeing in this story, Haggai's saying, what on earth are you doing? The house lies in ruins. And you're still just polishing your own. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That consider your ways is a phrase almost unique to the book of Haggai. It shows up four times. Um, And that word consider, the way it's used in Haggai, only shows up the same way in a few places in the Bible, and it, it should clue us into something. You see, that word consider in the Hebrew. I'm not even going to pronounce it, um, but but it's a lot of, nor, normally you would expect in Hebrew things to be terse. You'd expect less words into a longer English phrase, but but that word for consider in the Hebrew is, uh, it's literally set your heart upon. So it's not just think about it a little bit. Have you guys thought about your ways? It's set your heart upon. The idea is consider with your whole being, consider with your passion, Con- consider with all that you are, consider with your hearts. Think about this. Set your heart and and really consider your ways. Set your heart upon your ways. Haggai is saying this message from the Lord to say, are you guys even thinking about what's happening right now? And, And think about it in your hearts. Think about it with all of who you are. And what's interesting is this language, set your heart upon, the other place that we see it in the Bible is in the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses said to them, this is at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, near the end, Moses has just given this song. And in the song, he tells the people, the Lord's going to go before you and all these good things. And he says, but if you don't obey, bad things. Essentially, God says, I want to be your God if you'll be my people. And if you will obey me, your days in the land will be multiplied. If you won't obey me, you'll go into exile. And, And what Moses said to the people, take to heart all the words set your hearts upon all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess." The, the idea in this passage is, is if you follow after the Lord, well, if you set your hearts upon the Lord, you'll live long in Israel. Now we come to Haggai, where they're just returning to Jerusalem. Why? Because they did not set their hearts upon the Lord. And so when Haggai says, set your heart upon your ways, when, when Haggai says that, he, he's echoing back to Moses. And one of the biggest ideas of Moses in his whole time was to say that each, like, because you think about Moses. So, so Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He, he put all those together, and Genesis through Numbers are kind of Adam all the way through the life of Moses. And then Deuteronomy is kind of a summary and a challenge as the people go into the promised land. And remember, as the people go into the promised land, they've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years, and in those 40 years, an entire generation has passed away. Why? Because they didn't set their hearts upon the Lord. And, 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 and further than that, the commands of Moses over and over in Deuteronomy, you see this idea of set your heart upon your ways so that it's set upon the hearts of your children. Say it, at, say it in the morning. Say it in the evening. Put it on, i sound like bagel bites, but, but have it all the time. I Put it on your doors. Put it everywhere. Make sure that not only do you set your hearts upon it, but your children understand that it should be set upon their hearts as well. And, and that's, that's, Haggai is echoing that into his whole talk. Later on, Haggai is going to use Deuteronomy again. That's how we can be kind of sure that, that Haggai wants the people to hear this. You guys are re-entering the promised land. You're in Jerusalem. The land's been given back to you, and you're not even worried about your relationship with the Lord. You're not even setting your heart upon having a right relationship with him, on letting him dwell with you, on being his people so he can be your God. You're just fun finishing touches on your houses. Set your heart upon your ways. The message goes on. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You're all sitting in a hamster wheel Running as fast as you can, not going anywhere. Your family's unhappy, so you figure if I just made a little bit more, we'd be a little happier. So you work more hours, and you might get paid, but, but your family's no happier you're, you're having trouble with your kids, so you, you sign them up for more things and you take them to all the different things and you take them to all the different places and you're trying to show them how much you love them. And the more you do it, the less it feels like there's a connection. You're, you're, you're sad and lonely and depressed, so, so you jump into more things and do more things to be around more people. And, and at the end of the day, you, you feel the same or worse. You, you, you chase after things that you can't even catch in the first place. And at the end of the day, you wonder, what's the point? That's, that's, I, this verse, Haggai six, is the book of Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. Everything you chase after comes to nothing. And it's God talking to the people saying, set your heart upon your ways. You're, you're looking for wealth and security. But a pandemic could come. And turn everything off for six months and the economy could just plummet. Set your heart upon your ways. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, he says, consider your ways. Again, it's set your heart upon your ways. The Lord is trying to tell the people of Israel and Zerubbabel and Joshua to just open their eyes. You're back in the promised land. You've, you've been away 70 years for 70 years, the people of Israel, at, at best, the, Jerusalem was destroyed around 70 years before Haggai. And, and then all the people were ripped out, and, and there were no, basically no Jews left in the promised land that God had given them. And 70 years later, they're allowed to return, and they're given back Jerusalem. And, and what's the first thing they should do? Well, they should get right before the Lord. And they're not. They're chasing after security. They're chasing after wealth. They're chasing after all the things that all the nations around them are chasing after. The Lord goes on, "Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified," says the Lord. The Lord says, "Build my house." And. And we, I mean, we know, yeah, that's what they're supposed to do, but but thinking about this from a logical standpoint, someone might say, well, Lord, you're being kind of selfish. Do you really need a house? At one point, David offered to build you a house and you said, no, I don't need a house. Why on earth do you care so much now? And the reason is, again, it's what we talked about last week, the temple is a place where heaven and earth meet, where God dwells with his people and the people are basically saying by not doing anything with the ruins of the temple, they're basically saying, we don't need that. And God's saying, don't you know I'm the source of a plentiful harvest? Don't you know I'm the source of satisfaction? Don't you know I'm the source of security? The the whole book of Leviticus... Uh, it, it's, it's the book of how the people can stay right before the Lord and it's why they had to do the sacri- animal sacrifices and why they needed blood to cover sin. But, but at the heart of that book, when you read through it, one of the things you come away with is God over and over says, if you will live for me, if you will follow after me, your storehouses will be so stinking full, you'll be throwing out food, which was unheard of in that time. If you follow after me, when an army comes after you, five of you will chase off a thousand. If you will follow me, you will have no need to think about your security because I will already take care of that for you. And the people are like, we don't even need to build a house. We got to work on ours still. It's not time yet. And so the Lord is saying, build it that I may take pleasure. And what does the Lord take pleasure? And he takes pleasure when his people follow after him and that I may be glorified. And how is the Lord glorified? Well, in the garden and the, the proto-temple and the, the very first place where we see man and God together, when man works and is in relationship with God, God is glorified. So God is basically saying, let's have a relationship again. I'll take pleasure in it and I will be glorified. And by the way, then, then you won't be chasing after things that you can't get on your own anyways. And then the Lord goes on to go deeper. You, you plant a lot, but, but you harvest little. Well, you look for much, and behold, it came to little. And why? And, and when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. You're chasing after security. You're chasing after provision for yourself. And the reason you're not getting it is because you're ignoring me, because I'm the source of all of that. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. You can keep chasing after a harvest. You can keep chasing after security, but I can turn the rain off. That's, that's what the, the Lord's saying here. And, and what's interesting is if you go back into the book of Kings, when Elijah, the prophet, um, stood against the prophets of Baal, there was a drought. And what happened out of that drought? Well, the prophets of Baal were prophets of Baal, Baal, Baal the, the thunder god, the, the, the rain god. He was the God who could provide water for Israel, although he never did. And it was God who showed that he's the one who provides as he wiped out the priests of Baal and wiped out their offer and just showed himself to be the one in control. And what God's reminding the people of now is, hey, you've seen this cycle in the past. You've seen what happens when you ignore me. You're looking for security and I'm I'm the only source. I'm sovereign, the Lord of hosts, the God who reigns. You you can keep chasing all this stuff if you want and nothing's going to come out of it. kind of a downer and 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 the 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 reality of this passage is that that what what are what do our action or our actions show our hearts priorities and so the question for us today is what do our actions show are our hearts priorities what do your actions show are your hearts priorities are you chasing after things you're not going to get anyways if I were to preach a sermon a year ago um, hold on. Um, this is pretty half empty. Um, if I were to preach a sermon a year ago, um, I would have came at y'all hard about time. Because time, right? Time, we never have enough time. We never have enough time to do what we need to do. And so so we want to spend more time with the Lord, but there's all these other things. There's the tyranny of the urgent. Time is what keeps us from from the Lord. And that's what I would have preached on. That's what I hear from kids. They never have enough time between their their tests and their study and their activities and their this and their that. And so, so time is the biggest barrier to following the Lord well. And then there was this thing in March, COVID, um, and all of a sudden, we had time. So we should have seen the greatest revival in church history. We didn't. I mean, you all know that. We didn't. All of a sudden, for most people, time became something we had in abundance If, if our, if our actions show our heart's priorities, I, I don't know what to say about the last six months in a lot of ways. Because we should have seen an explosion in the church if the barrier was time. But the barrier is not time. The barrier was never time. Time is just a really convenient way to talk about it. There, there's like a, a meme, and it's like an old quote about how, you know, the devil wants to get us all super busy, and because if we're busy, we, we won't do what we need to do in the church. And, and the problem is, is we start to think of time as the commodity that we're up against. And, and the problem is, is that time isn't the problem at all. A year ago, I would have said really strongly, time, 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 time. And I, I keep saying this because I want you to hear just, just what has been happening in my heart in this season. Be, because I, I, I last year would have been right there with all of you. I, twice a week, had youth group in the evenings. I I had to write curriculum for like three different things. I I had to do all of these different things. My time was so tight that it felt like I never had any relief. And I I would try and like fit in my devotions into these moments. And then let's be honest. I'd come home at night and I'd be tired. And I'd, you know, maybe, maybe stream something. And I was too tired to spend time with the Lord. But you know what I wasn't too tired for? Like the third episode, right? It's, it's, I, I want to say like, oh, and I watched a show and then went to bed. But it's like, no, I watched like a season and went to bed. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting here saying, and, but I wish I had more time. And it's like, shut up, Matt. You have all the time in the world. And I don't really have all the time in the world, but I have way more time than I want to pretend I have. We all do. We all do. If you're an essential worker and you're like a healthcare worker and you're sitting here like, Matt, you have no idea what my last six months have been. Um, I don't. And I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but, but consider your time anyways. But for everyone else, I, I think for most people, we have more time than we've ever had. And yet, I think we're still doing the same things. And so the question becomes, what are actually our heart's priorities? Be, because I, I know parents who... A year ago, we're like, I wish I just had more time with my kids, but they're in so many activities, they're in so many sports, they have so much to do. And, and it, like starting in April, I heard parents saying, when can they go back? And, and, and it's funny, but it's also terrible because at the heart of it is we knew the pattern wasn't working before, we knew it was unhealthy before, and now we're saying, how do we get back to it? I like less having more time because when I have more time, I recognize I'm not doing anything with the time that I have. It stinks, but it's where we're at. And, and I, I want to tell you that I, I, uh, I've been trying to, like, figure out how to articulate what's on my heart with this. Um, and, and the the best example I have of this is, um, so, like, I, I've wanted to delete Facebook, like, a hundred times um, in the last six months. Um, and uh, then Jess beat me to it. And when she deleted Facebook, all of a sudden it was like, well, you got to be the one who posts pictures of Lucy once a month. And I was like, thanks. Um, but... I mean, and then I, we also, we stream through Facebook, so I have to leave my Facebook account active because it goes through my, so we have all these reasons I still have to have Facebook, but you know what I don't have to do? I don't ever have to log into it, but do you know what I do? I log into Facebook, and then I read things on Facebook that just make my heart hurt. I read recently, a Christian made a post about how um, Christians need to stop turning the other cheek and stand up for ourselves, and I was like, whoa, 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 Jesus said turn the other cheek. We need to obey Jesus. Like, what what on earth am I reading? And here's the thing. This person, they don't go to our church, so I feel like I I feel okay talking about this, but um, it's someone that I knew from long ago. But when they made the post, the first thought I had was, why am I following them? Why am I even Facebook friends with them? I should unfollow them. And then I left them. And then like a few weeks later, they posted something else, and I got all worked up about it. And, and, like, I've got this, like, wall of people on Facebook that I haven't deleted or, uh, you know, like, you unfollow people because they frustrate you. And, 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 by the way, I'm talking about unfollowing people. I'm talking about being frustrated by Facebook, but I'm not talking about logging off of Facebook. And so I've got this wall of people that, and it, it, it's not really the people. It's the ideas that consume my time. And I waste all of this time on them. And it's dumb. It's dumb, It's silly. And it shows my deep immaturity, and it also shows what I prioritize. Because I want to read these things and then think of responses, but then not post them, because I'm a pastor and I'm not supposed to do that, Um, or send messages. Um, But most of the time I just get mad and think, wow, does someone really believe that? And then it's like, but what do I believe if I think it's worth sitting on here reading these things? And, And so I waste a lot of time, a commodity of which I have a lot. And so then I think about what's really at the heart of this. And um, I'm going to use, I, I made up a phrase. And right away, you're going to have like, a, oh, I know what that is. But it's different, I hope. Um, suburban comfort. And last night, we had some people over, and I tried to explain it. And everyone at the table is like, well, you mean like keeping up with the Joneses, right? You see what your neighbors are, you doing, are doing, and you're like, if I had what they had, I'd be comfortable. I'll, if I had what they had, I'll, life would be good. And so, so we try and like meet expectations, and, and, and we, we just like live in this endless cycle of, oh, that parent takes their kid to all those things. If I want to be a good parent, I have to do the same. And, and, and that's like an idea, um, but, but I think it misses the bigger idea. And so when I'm talking about suburban comfort, the reason I'm not just willing to say it's keeping up with the Joneses is because this idea of suburban comfort is really, um, and, and what I'm calling it is self-imposed subjugation. Subjugation is to be like subject to, to be enslaved by, to be commanded by. And, and the, the reality of what I see in this time is a year ago, we all didn't have time. And then we all had time. And then when we had time, we said, I wish I didn't have time anymore. And, and, and the reality is, is that, that we have so many things that we impose upon ourselves and convince ourselves to have control over our lives that we, we don't follow after the Lord. We say, it's not time yet to build the temple. And remember, we are the temple. So if we lie in ruins, it's because we say, ah, oh, there's not really time to fix it. And and, and and when I think of this, what I think of is, I think of, well, you know, it's, it's kind of a waste of time for me to be on Facebook, but I get on it every day anyways. I do. And Man, that's dumb. I, I don't have... Kind, again, I'm a pessimist. I'm talking to myself right now. And, and I, I put these... I give these things power. Okay, and this year, since since the pandemic started, we haven't had a whole lot... Like when we've done youth group, it's mostly been on Zoom. And now we've got Thrive where we're meeting in person on Sunday nights. But it's taking a significantly smaller amount of time than what it used to take because things are just different right now. But for some reason starting in mid-July, Jess and I, who had been doing these awesome devotionals every night as a family, Jess and I just like quit doing them. And do you know why we quit doing them? Because we got busy. And what in the heck did we get busy with? Self-imposed subjugation. We, we started, oh man, I just had a really hard day at work. I just want to rest. I want to sit on the couch. And then like five episodes of Alone Later, we're going to bed. And we we haven't talked about anything of substance the whole night. And I don't feel good at the end of the night. I still feel tired. I still feel unsatisfied. But, I mean, imagine how much worse those men feel that are slowly starving to death in the wilderness. And so comparatively, I feel better about myself. And I would have handled that better. No, but that's a whole other thing. Um, I would die in the wilderness trying to skin the first animal. But the, the bigger idea here, this self-imposed subjugation, we give so many things power. We think my family's unhappy. So if I just worked a little harder, we'd maybe be able to go on a vacation and then we'd be happy. But then, I, then I'm absent more. And so then by the time we go on the vacation, we're already burned out. This is a conversation about burnout. This is a conversation about we live in cycles of burnout. And, and what happens, what happens, I, parents, I talk especially to you right now, is in the middle of the year, we watch students burn out. And they think, I got to do better next year. And then we hit September of the following year. And they're in the same number of things or more. Because at some point, we're like, well, I can't tell my kid no. And somehow the kid is the one that we're giving power over us. And I see that so much. And so I watch parents and and I know I'm going to have so much trouble telling Lucy no. I know that, but I also I want to build up uh, I want my home to be a part of the temple that doesn't lie in ruins. And so I'm hoping that I can follow examples I've seen from some parents here that that they've said no to their kids or said, "Hey, we're going to we're going to let you do an activity, but an activity, not 400." Because ultimately, you can chase after everything and your kid can chase after everything and their college admission could just be, or their application could just be ignored. Everyone might just be better than them and no one's better than your kid, I know, but, but everyone might be better than your child on the, the application. And that, that's outside your control. And, and, and yet we chase after it and we think if we can just set our kids up in a certain way for success, then, then everything will work out, not recognizing that we're not even focused on the right things. And we think about our financial security, and we think about how, like, uh, I, uh, Jess and I pay into a retirement thing, and um, I've never had to think about retirement before. Um, when I started Springbrook, praise the Lord that the way they structure our, we we have, like, a retirement built in, and praise the Lord they did that, I would have never thought of it. Um, but this year, when we got the the letter in, like, June, it was, like, hey, these losses, and they were very optimistic about the losses from that season. And as a pessimist, I read that and went, I could never draft an email like that. But the the point is, is that we really have no security. We don't. There's, There's nothing we can do to have it, but we turn it into something that we allow to control us. And we turn wealth into a thing that we allow to control us. And we turn self-help and mental health into a thing that we allow to control us. And we think that if we get our mental health right, our relationship with God will be better, not thinking that maybe the starting point is our relationship with God. And we do all of these things, and we chase all of these things, and at the end of the day, we put ourselves in situations where what we're doing is saying, I'd rather be controlled by this than the Lord." I'd, I'd rather I'd rather chase the things I want to chase and pretend like I have no control. I come home after a day of work, and, and I, I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired because I've been sitting at a desk all day writing curriculum and then I have to come home and I play with Lucy a bit and then I'm so tired that I, I can't spend time in the Word with my wife. Instead, I have to sit around watching something. I, that's, that's the sin that I feel the most in this because at the beginning of July, we finished up a, a curriculum through Samuel as a youth group where I did all these devotions and Jess and I were loving reading through them and having conversations every night. And then in July when that curriculum was done, it was like, oh, well, I don't even know what curriculum we'd do. It's like, my job is to find curriculum. Like, and here I am coming up with excuses because it's easier. And it's not really easier, but I'm more comfortable with it. And it's not that I'm comfortable, it's I'm more comfortable with being uncomfortable in a way that I control. And that's what we do. That's why we'd rather have so many things on our calendar that we don't even think about how much of this is really inside of our control. That's why everyone's hoping that we're, we're back. I, yesterday, Huntley... High school football players were selling their cards. And I was like, I'll buy a card, but what's this money going towards? You guys aren't playing football. And they're like, no, we're playing in February. I was like, good luck, guys. I hope you do. Um, I bought the card because it has a Manny's 10% off. So, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll get my money back for it. But I was just sitting there giggling because I was like, what what on earth are we doing right now? But that's a whole other thing. I hope that school starts up soon. I hope everyone can go back. I I know kids are going back online this week. I I hope that things change. I really do. But but whether or not they change, the reality is is that, that what we're choosing to let control us is on us. Um, This week, uh, Jess is a small group leader in the Young Adults Ministry, and they've been in the book Mere Christianity, um, the most wonderful book even today. Um, I love it. A few weeks ago, C.S. Lewis made fun of Flat Earthers in like 1940. I just think that's amazing. So the man was ahead of his time. Um, But here is a quote from him in Mere Christianity that I think just needs to be talked about in this conversation. Imagine yourselves as a living house, God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. Yeah, I need to come to church. Yeah, I need to be in a small group. I need to pray. Yeah, that's... But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. It does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. I I think this quote is like the perfect explanation of what we do. Like God, it wants to build us into something so much more than we are. We are the temple, the place where heaven and earth meet, where God dwells with his people in right relationship on earth as it is in heaven. That's what God desires. And we're like, can I, can I pause? I, I'm okay being a ranch house. You know, I'm a little bit more than a cottage, but can we just stop here? Oh, you want to add an extra story? I guess that's okay, but can we stop there? The, the reality is that, that our heart's priorities, we, we don't really want to follow this because it's uncomfortable and because it's outside our control. And what God wants to turn us into is so much better than what we have for ourselves. But we don't get to choose it. It's, it's God making us into who he wants us to be. And so it's, it's giving up control. It's saying, I'm, I'm going to follow you, Lord, instead of picking what I want to control me. So, first question, what do your actions show are your heart's priorities? And the second thing, and I I hope you are cut to the core by this, what do your actions proclaim as the heart of the gospel of Jesus? As I've been reading through Haggai, the the thing I keep thinking about is the, the people of Israel that were returning, the Jews that were returning to Jerusalem, by not building the temple, they were proclaiming that they didn't need to have right relationship with God. They were proclaiming that that was a secondary thing. And as I've been going through the book of Haggai, something that's been popping into my head over and over when thinking about us as a church, and, and not just us as a church, but the, the big C church, the, the, the wider church in the United States. And one of the things that I think is really hard is a lot of times it's really hard to tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian by how they live. We look the same. Our priorities are the same. We live the exact same way as those around us. And here is why this is such a problem. It's not just a problem because we're not obeying God. It's, it's, a, it's a problem because every single person is an evangelist. Every single person is an evangelist. And when I say that word, a sad reality is pastors are told, and I've heard this from many other pastors, don't say the E word because it, people get turned off. They go, oh, I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. So I don't have to do that. Or or stop talking about with me, I don't have that gift. But I'm not talking about it as, are you going out and actively sharing and and trying to draw people to Christ? Although you should be doing that. The Great Commission has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are a part of the Great Commission. But but the the point right now, and, and where this gets really uncomfortable, is that if someone who is not a believer knows that you are a believer and the way you live and what you prioritize looks no different than what they do, then the evangelism that you are living out, the gospel you are proclaiming, is the same gospel that the world proclaims. And how sick. How sick if we say, Jesus said, my, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. And we say, well, actually, it's the same as the world's. And, and how sick if we live under control and in slavery and bondage to things that should have no hold over us anymore because of Christ. And other people see that and say, well, they're no different. Why, what hope do they really offer? You, you are an evangelist. It's just a matter of what gospel are you proclaiming. By the way you live, by what you prioritize, by how you act and by what you proclaim. That's, we are all that. And, and thinking bigger picture, we are the temple, Right? We're the temple and if, if we want to grow the temple and want to build up the temple, what's the, how do you do that? Well, if I'm a brick in the temple and you're all bricks in the temple and everyone at home is a brick in the temple, if they're a follower of Jesus Christ, we need more bricks. It's really simple. It's a, it's a really simple way to think about it. If we want to grow and build up the temple, it's, it's building ourselves up, strengthening ourselves, but also it's building up other people and inviting other people to join. It's looking around at the people around us and saying they could be a part of this temple. One of the the most frustrating things I've heard in the last few months is I hear people say things, um, and when I first say this, you're going to be like, man, Matt, this is harsh. Okay, I hear people say things like, aren't we all children of God? And I hear that from Christians. And do you know what the answer to that is? No. We are not all children of God. We are all made in God's image, but we are not children of God unless we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, unless we've been invited into or brought into his kingdom through the Holy Spirit. That person you interact with who doesn't know Jesus is not a child of God. And I don't say that to shame that person. I say that to tell you, how can you talk to that person and not think, how do we get this person to be a part of this amazing temple that I'm a part of? We we miss it because we, we fit things into what we're comfortable with. It's nice to think that everyone could be a child of God because if we think about it as a could be, or maybe they will be, but... You know, well, the, only the Lord knows. And yes, only the Lord knows, but do we have an urgency for that? Is that a priority in our lives? Because if it's not, what's the point? Like if we have hope in heaven, but we look at others and, and just think, ah, they, you know, they'll, they'll figure it out or they won't, then, then it's like we've completely missed the point. I mean, if Jesus would have done that, there'd be no New Testament. There'd, it'd be pretty grim for us. But the, the point of all of this is, is our Actions are showing our hearts priorities and and it's our actions are really proclaiming the gospel we believe in And and so what's what's the point of all this? The point of all this is what are you going to let? Control you and are you going to submit to the Lord? or Are you going to allow the things of this world to take primary place in your life? Because that's a choice and you may be sitting here thinking today. I have no idea how to do this and that's okay Um, I, the, the good news, at, you know, the, we're going back to glass kind of half full here. The good news at the end of the book, or at the end of the chapter one of Haggai, is that the people hear this message from Haggai and they are cut. And they go, Man, we have messed up. And they repent. What do they do? Zerubbabel and um, Joshua, the high priest, and the remnant of the people, what do they do? They obey the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. So Haggai comes and tells him, you are prioritizing the wrong things. You are letting the wrong things control your life. Turn back to the Lord. And what do the people do? They obey. They repent. They, they go from going one way to saying, let's go the other way. And when they do that, the very next thing that happens is Haggai is given a message from the Lord. He spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. Like as soon as they obey and start fearing the Lord, giving the Lord the respect and awe he is due. As soon as they do that, the Lord's like, hey, I'm with you. Go plant again. It'll work. Um, And and the Lord stirred up, not only does the Lord say, I'm with you, but says the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And and so what happens is as soon as the people say, we're going to follow you, Lord, as soon as their leaders say, we're going to follow you, Lord, the Lord enables them and empowers them to follow him. And so so wherever you're at today, whatever's cutting you, whether it's time management, whether it's a, I, I let my job control me, or I let my kids control me. Parents, your kids should not run the house. I know. I, I'm a youth pastor. I 14-year-old boys should never run anything. I love them. By like 16, you can kind of pretend like they're in charge of something. But then you got to like... Keep an eye on them. But the the, the point here is that you should be running the house, but you should really be letting the Lord run the house. And and the the point in all of this is that if we're going to follow after the Lord and if we turn to him and if we set aside those things that we so willingly allow to control us, and if we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, you are the one in control, you are sovereign, you reign, the response of the Lord is he's going to say, all right, I'm with you. Really, you're with me, but I'm with you. And he's going to stir us up to do the things that he has for us. If we will just follow him in obedience. So that's encouraging. I mean, at the, at the end of this, the, it's, it's very encouraging if we will just turn to the Lord. If we will say, I'm going to shed these things that have no control, in, or that shouldn't have any control, and I'm going to put the thing in my life that ultimately is already in control in the place where he should be. Because God isn't asking the people to put God anywhere except where God should be in the first place. And that's, that's like the main point of this passage and that's what we should take away. And, and, and we should repent. I, I know that my action step out of this is that I, I need to find a very specific way to do this because right now Lucy is eating in a high chair and I don't know what it looks like to do devotions while she's being so cute. But Jess and I need to find a new pattern and I need to lead that as the spiritual leader in my house. We need to find a new pattern where we're doing a devotion together. Because shame on me if we're not. That, that's, that's my role as the leader of the household. And, and we need to build up these new patterns. And we had that pattern before, and I can't pretend like I'm busier now than I was a year ago. And instead, I need to look at my time as a— Like, it's, it's my relationship with the Lord that matters most, and that's where I need to put it. So I'd encourage you to do the same. I, what in your life are you allowing to control it? And what are you putting there so that, that you can avoid— I, mean, I love the C.S. Lewis illustration, the, the idea of being a mansion— God wants to turn us into something so much more than what we we think we are. What are we doing to stop him let 's pray, Ah oh, Lord, we thank you that at the end of just at the end of just our rope when we 're burned out, when we are struggling because we have too little time, or when we're struggling because we have too much time, or when we're struggling because we we just feel like the world is out of control, we thank you that you are not surprised by any of it. We thank you that you reign. We thank you that you're sovereign. We thank you that ultimately, Lord, you are in control of everything. And, And as little as we can understand that, Lord, we thank you that you you desire for us to follow you and, and you desire for us to follow you well. And in that desire, your desire is, is if we do that, I, not only will you take pleasure and you be glorified, but it's for our good. And so, Lord, we, we pray. I, I pray, Lord, that you would help me repent of where I have put things ahead of you in this season. Um, I loved the patterns I was in and Jess and I were in for like four months and then I just allowed distractions to seep in. And Lord, I, I pray you would just, just help me turn away from that. I, I pray that this week that you would go before me, just go before me, go before Jess. And I pray for anyone here who's realizing there's something that they have put in the way of you or there are things that they are chasing that are not of you. I, I pray you would help them to turn to you because when we turn to you, when we're in obedience of you, you will empower us to do what you have for us. And I pray that we would both rest in that hope And also not live in the fear of the things that we allow to control us, but instead follow after you well. I thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us either. I thank you that um, even though in your son I am perfectly right before you and we who follow you are perfectly right before you, you are patient with us as we we don't live up at all to the palace, the mansion that you want us to be. And I, I pray that you would help me and help all of us to just see truly what it looks like to, to follow after you and what it looks like to live as the palaces, as, the, as the, the people who follow after you so well. We thank you that through your son, you've given us the right to be called your children and to follow after you well. And, and Lord, just again and again, we pray that we would proclaim you by our actions, by our priorities and by our words. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, thank you for joining us Um, I want to encourage you as you go to, to just really spend some time thinking, what am I chasing and why? What am I allowing to control me? And what would it look like to set that aside and turn in obedience to the Lord? Go in peace.